Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law and Courtroom Quarterback. I am Joel Oster. I am Chris Marone, back at the big table. Hey, Chris, you're doing well. I always like to pause there just to see if you are awake, knowing if it's too long of a pause, and Sean will just delete the pause. That's why Sean is so great. One of the days <laughs> he's going to give me that James Earl Jones voice. But until then, hey, it's just you and I. Mackenzie is still out there kissing babies on the campaign circuit. We'll see how her campaign is going here. The election is coming up in a couple of weeks. we got a lot to talk about today, Chris. The Supreme Court is back in session, had some major cases that they heard argument on this week. And then we're going to get to the big news from this past week in courtroom quarterback, where we're going to talk about John Gruden, the big issue there uh, dominating the NFL news. And also we're going to find out whether or not little boys and girls, should you be gambling with your money? Uh, We are once again going to be proving (laughs) do not do it. It is not wise. Despite the fact I didn't go five and one last week, and you would have made a ton of money if you listened to me, not so much if you listened to Chris. Hey, Chris, I'm just going to leave it right there, and we're going to pick back up. Sorry about that drop on you, that slam. Uh, is that called throwing shade? It, oh, no, it's salty. You're so salty. I am salty. That's the terminology of today's youth. My son says, Dad, you're being salty. You picked it up. You are much closer to my son's age, I guess, than I am, which I know that much is true. Debatable. All right, let's. Let's go to the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, Chris. Let's do this. This last week, the court, the court is back in session. This was their second week. They took a Monday off. It was Indigenous Peoples Day, I believe, on the first. It used to be Christopher Columbus's day back when I was young. I have no idea what it was when you were in grade school. But it was we're now still celebrating- Chris Columbus Day. Now it's Indigenous okay. Peoples Day. Not any it's Indigenous Peoples Day, which I always find interesting. Why are we today judging people who lived so long ago about their worst things and not their we did we never celebrate people for their sins. We celebrate people for their accomplishments, but now we tend to judge people by only their sins. I guess this is a great uh lead in to what we're gonna talk about later with John Gruden. But nonetheless, that's not what we're here talking. The Supreme Court was in <laughs> it's a session. whole other podcast. That is, and boy, don't even get me started on that. Why are we, I hate the cancel culture. It just, oh, you know what, I want to cancel it. I want to cancel the cancel culture. Uh, but nonetheless, let's talk about the Boston Marathon Bomber. The U.S. Supreme Court took this case up this last week. And just to kind of set the stage yeah. for you, is several years ago, 2013, in the Boston Marathon, there was a bombing there. It killed three people, badly injured, hundreds more. One of the people behind that Boston Marathon bombing died in the uh, the ordeal, and yep. then his brother also was involved in it. And so uh, the brother was on trial, and the the U.S. government sought the death penalty against him. Uh, right. The jury returned a verdict and ordered the death penalty. It was appealed to the First Circuit. The First Circuit overturned that death sentence for two main reasons, Chris. The first reason is that during Vordire, 
and I'm really going back there to my my cousin Vinny Days Wardire. Uh, you know, during the Wardire process, the court did not allow the lawyers to ask questions about one juror's pretrial media coverage exposure. And so, usually during Wardire, you're allowed to ask, "Hey, do you, you know anything about this case? Have you seen anything in the media about this case?" Right. The court did not allow this uh, the, the the lawyers to ask questions about that. And so, the first circuit said that's bad. That prejudiced the proceeding, and that was one of the reasons why we overturned the death penalty. A second reason uh, was that the district court uh, committed error because during the penalty phase, so Chris, there's two different phases to right. criminal trials. There's your guilt phase and then your penalty phase, your and he phases, already yep. was right. He already was found guilty under the the, the guilt phase. They were now moving to to the sentencing, and during this phase of the trial, the court excluded evidence that the bomber's older brother was allegedly involved in different crimes two years before. Now, the reason why this was a big deal is if someone is just a follower, just the latchkey kind of person. So yep. if the older brother was really calling the shots, the he mastermind. was really the guilty one, the mastermind, like you said. And so the younger brother was just simply following. Is the younger brother still guilty? Of course he is, 100%. but it's to a, it just in our mind, lesser it's a extent. lesser degree. Maybe shouldn't get the death penalty, and so the the court uh, excluded that evidence, that testimony, and that's why the first circuit overturned it. And so that case goes up to the U.S. Supreme Court this past week. They heard an argument on it. Most experts tend to agree that the court is really kind of siding on reinstituting the death penalty. Chris, anything stand out to you about this uh, case? I mean. Tons, tons of thoughts, right? Um, first off, I think that the the stronger issue on appeal is going to be the voir dire. I think that um, I was in California when this was going on, when this case happened, and I heard about it two minutes afterwards. I knew who this person was. His, he was right. like his picture was plastered all over it. I know more about the bomber, which I know I'm going to pronounce his last name wrong, Sarnev. I know more about Sarnev than I know about the victims of the bombing. And if it wasn't okay, for that Maki, Maki Mock movie, I wouldn't have been able to, to really put together most of what had happened. Right. So I think the media coverage allows for a lot of prejudice to happen. And look, it's American media. We can, that's a whole other podcast on how bad American media is about twisting right. the truth and, and manipulating people to that effect. But I think especially on the agenda. Yeah. Especially at this point, you know, Sarnev is a immigrant. Um, I believe he is of um, the Nation of Islam. So he really was a target for the media to pounce on to say, this is what terrorism looks like. This is a terrorist. We need to we need to stop terrorism. And that, you know, true or not true, that prejudices a jury. You are not going right, to find an impartial jury of his peers that didn't already have that like rammed into their throat. And by disallowing that question being asked, that could have flipped the whole trial. Cause if you would have got Sarnev up there and people did not know his religion or ethnic background or what's going on, they could have had a more impartial discussion about the acts, the heinous acts, right? People, you know, this was a terrorist act. I'm not trying to downplay his act, right, but right. The, the criminal defense lawyer in me says, look, if we're going to defend this constitution to the fullest extent of the law and we're going to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, you have to make sure that 
all of the clauses, all of the amendments are followed to allow a fair and impartial trial to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, which I totally think was there. That's but actually an interesting point. It, so go ahead. one of the thoughts here is that if they had allowed this testimony, which they didn't, would the right. outcome have been different? In other words, is this reversible error or is it a no harm, no foul? From my perspective, we don't know that. I mean, you, you, you can't know It would have been nice if they actually had been able to ask the question, get follow-up to it, have a little bit of dialogue there. Now, most experts will have said, and when I've read the reports and I've listened to the oral argument, that the court really wasn't that concerned about that first point. Now, yeah. Chris, I want to caution the, the listeners in what they take from that. Just because the court didn't seem that concerned doesn't mean they agree one way or the other. It's not like they thought, okay, this isn't a big deal. Uh, you know, they, they were allowed to do this. Maybe they already had their mind made up and had no questions about that. They thought the tougher issue was the second one, and that's Which where is. their focus was during oral argument. So it's kind of hard to read the tea leaves on the fact that the court didn't have too many questions questions on issue number one now right. when it comes to issue number two what really and this was the issue of should the uh, evidence have been brother. presented during the penalty phase about the brother being involved in another alleged murder the problem is as you can tell chris from what i said there's a lot of qualifiers there alleged you know, potential involvement right that would be a whole second trial i mean what was the brother actually involved in the second right. trial we don't know the brother uh, was never tried for it that he actually passed away and there was no trial and so we don't know are you going to allow a whole nother trial over this issue i don't know uh well the, and is is there an issue because the brother's now passed away like you can't get testimony from the brother. You can't get evidence about the, like there's nobody to confront. About it makes this. it a lot more difficult, doesn't it? But Kagan yeah. said, but isn't that a question for the jury? So yes, the probative value is weaker, but it's, we're talking about the death penalty here. Why right. not give that information to the jury and let them make the decision? Right. After all, someone's life and death is at stake here. We can take time out of our schedule to make sure we get this one right. Right. Lastly, it doesn't affect Chris, guilt. It doesn't affect guilt whatsoever. Is it life or is it death? What is it going to be right. life without possibility of parole or is he going to be dead? This we should give this more more time and energy and effort. One last interesting thought or uh, take from this uh, this case is that I believe it's ACB. Amy Coney Barrett asked uh, the the lawyer for the the government, why are you guys even? pursuing this matter because Merrick Garland, the attorney general already put a moratorium on the death penalty. So they are, this administration is signaling. They don't really like the death penalty. They're not, they're put a moratorium on them, no longer pursuing it. So why are they appealing this matter? And there really wasn't a good answer to that, but we'll have to find out what, how that case gets resolved. But that was an interesting case. All right. Next up Thompson V Clark. And this case really kind of fits squarely within my specialty this involves section 1983 litigation yep. which is where you can bring a civil lawsuit against government for violations of your uh you know your constitutional rights your your your, your rights under color of, of state law all right, right. but it, so when you are wrongfully arrested one of the prerequisites that has to happen before you can bring this civil lawsuit is the um, the criminal proceedings had to have been terminated 
in your favor. Chris, what does that mean that the criminal proceedings were terminated in your favor? That is the question the court is going to determine today. But I was hoping you would give us the answer. Best answer that I can give is that you're found not guilty. Okay, so there's two different options. One right. is there's a trial and, and they, the, the judge says, stand up. Everyone's watching on courtroom TV across America, okay. like an OJ Simpson. The That's jury, right. the verdict, not guilty is read. That clearly would be a proceeding that terminated in your favor. We get that. Right. Right, but what's another option? Charges can be dropped. All right. And charges for, can drop for many I believe it reasons. is the, the phrases that, <laughs> I'm sorry, most uh, district attorneys or county attorney's offices will use is that we're dismissing the charges in the interest of justice. Okay. Right. And sometimes we are dismissing a charge maybe because we think even though you committed the crime, we just feel bad for you. Maybe right. you were in a real hard part of your life and your situation, right. like stealing bread, I think was the example given by by Breyer. Yep. And the classic movie was a or play Late Miserable. I, I can't pronounce that. I'm not a Broadway right. person, but you get the idea. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe the decision not to prosecute was made out of compassion, not because you're not guilty. And so right. should you then be allowed to sue that prosecutor for a false arrest? Intra Do you have any thoughts on how the court's going to rule on that? I, you know what? I, well, I believe it's the conservative court is going to rule that that's idiotic and they don't, they don't get to have it. But I think this comes in a long line of questioning about qualified immunity, a long line of questioning about what's the role of police in our society. I think it's, a, I think this individual case is going to be ruled very simply. The court's going to come back and say, no, you don't have a 1983 action. So and, they're going to a, a, a case that's been dismissed or a prosecution that they just say, we're not going to pursue this anymore. That's not going to be proceeding terminated in your favor. That would then allow for a section 1983 lawsuit. That is your prediction on how the case will turn out. It totally is. Cause also think about all the other cases that are out there. Once this precedent comes out, right? How many, and, and the tool, and I'm not, I'm not trying to disparage law enforcement, but oftentimes when you go to break up a political rally or you go break up a party, you arrest somebody for inciting a riot or resisting arrest. You bring them in, you book them just so you break up whatever festivity they're in. And then you release them, you know, you, you cite and release, and then you drop the charges. You don't file charges against them or anything to that effect. It's a tactic that is used by law enforcement. Not that it's a, a good or bad tactic. That's not for us to decide at this, at this, this juncture. But now, if you allow for 1983 motions under this or 1983 suits under this, it's it's going to cripple one of the tools law enforcement uses to de-escalate situations that are far beyond numbers wise, beyond their control. Interesting. I, I see your point there. I gotta tell you, I I'm, I think I'm the conservative side of this this balance that you and I bring to this podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, but that being said. I almost see it going the other way. And yeah. I just maybe it's my the liberal. I'm hanging out with too many liberals. I don't know. We but love you. The problem I have is, um, you know, if if the courts prosecute someone, you know, and they 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 bring charges against this person, you you can't bring a section 1983 case unless it goes all the way to the end. Uh, I just see that that's not right. I mean, because if you if it was a really bad violation, if someone really did violate your rights by making a wrongful arrest, 
they're not going to proceed all the way to trial. They're going to find no. a way to get rid of that earlier than later. So it doesn't make any sense to require they, it to be brought to its conclusion before you can bring a Section 1983 lawsuit. But, hey, we are just commentators spectating along the side of the road. You uh, know what? Actually, one thing also players. true, and, th and I've done this a fair amount of times, is that I've brought in a motion to suppress. Right. right. So, if I, so if a cop, let's say, pulls over my guy, you know, is in a legal position, finds a gun, arrests him for being in possession of a firearm, but he wasn't lawfully positioned to do that under Fourth Amendment um, rules. You bring in a motion to suppress. You get that suppressed. And now the D.A. has to drop the charges because there's no other way to connect you to the crime because it was illegally found. Is that considered well, interesting, because you would have received a favorable court ruling right. in that case, but then they would have made the decision afterwards to dismiss because you suppressed their their main evidence. And their so, main evidence. Good point. Now, is that All a, good, very good points. Right. All right. Lastly here, the court dealt with last week Cameron v. EMW Women's Surgical Center. Now, Chris, the people, the media were all following this case because this case involved abortion and so they thought oh my goodness this is, we're gonna get a preview of the court and how they are yeah. going to handle the case later on from mississippi involving the right to life the, the rights constitutional constitutional rights of the pre-born let's get a little bit of a glimpse into how the court's thinking that uh, the court did not give any glimpses they, they, no. they took this what could have been sexy case and turned it into a civil procedure matter which is a big snooze fest so what happened here was Kentucky passed this law, House Bill 454, that generally made it a crime for doctors to use the dilation and evacuation method uh, of abortion, which is the most common method used to end a pregnancy in Kentucky during the second trimester. Right. Well, Kentucky's only abortion clinic went to federal district court in Kentucky, arguing that the law was unconstitutional, and at the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, they agreed. Now, what happened during this proceeding is the Kentucky Attorney General decided not to defend the law. And so there was another uh, person that was brought in to defend the law. But this person decided at the, after the Sixth Circuit, they did not want to appeal the case any further. Well, there was a new Kentucky Attorney General that was elected. Uh, and so this new Attorney General said, well, hold on a second. We think this case should be appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. And so they intervened at that stage after the Sixth Circuit had ruled against them, but before any deadlines had run. So we want to intervene so we can appeal the case. By the way, I am the Attorney General of Kentucky. I am hired, elected to represent the people's interests and to defend laws. And so the current lawyers here are not defending this law. Chris, is this nothing more than a change of lawyers at the end of the day? How do you think the court is going to handle this matter? Essentially, that's all it is, is we want to just do some lawyer swapping because we think this person can argue it better than that person or this person has more to 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 gain out of it than that person i think the courts are i you know what i really don't know how the courts are going to go with this one because i could see both sides of it i think um if you allow for i i always think with the courts what's the long con what's the long game here what 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 could happen in effect of this decision is you know are we going to be able to have governmental bodies interchangeable with private um individuals to be able to switch attorneys back and forth depending on laws that they don't like i think right um and, and i don't know i think maybe some of the judges might think that's a great idea right that if if a like and i think 
let's take the Texas abortion law, because let, let's let's take a controversial law that's coming out right now. I think the liberal justices are going to want if Texas is unwilling to defend the law at the Supreme Court, the liberal justices and the, the liberal party is going to want to either a be able to step in and say, no, we're still hurt by this law. Let's get it in front of the Supremes to get it knocked down. Or if you know, a, a client doesn't want to take it. They want to step in and say, no, 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 we're still hurt by it. Let's take it all the way up. So this idea of musical chairs for lawyers, is, right. it's kind of a scary ground to get into because in my opinion, in my limited understanding of, of a lot of things, um, standing is still important. You have to show that you were somehow harmed from this and an attenuated harm of it hurts all people everywhere. Doesn't count. Well, but Chris, let's take a look at this here because this, this. I think, unfortunately, you're going to see come up more often. Mm -hmm. Here's what I'm, let me just kind of set the stage of why this is controversial and why this might continue to be a problem. We've already seen it in the marriage cases and now right. we're seeing it in the right to life cases. Politics change hands. I mean, you, people are on both sides of the aisle and lawsuits take many years to come to resolution. A lot longer than a couple years, maybe even longer than four years. I've seen some lawsuits take over 20 years. And so uh, administrations change hands. And let's say that the, the administration is, is a liberal democratic regime when the lawsuit is brought and then the election happens. And now that same governmental position is run by the opposite party. Right. Well, will that opposite party defend it as vigorously? Maybe they want to get rid of it. And let's say the representation or the, the that seat is held by someone else, another party four years later. And so mm -hmm. these things change hands. And when you're thinking about the terms of, let's say, marriage equality or you're talking about right to life, you can see these hot button controversial issues. Right. Do you really think a Republican AG is the one you want defending a marriage equality law? Not even a little I, bit. I don't know. I'm just going to throw that out there that maybe their heart really would not be in that defense. I'm just suggesting that as an example, or maybe right to life. Let's say there's a right to life provision, and then you have a liberal Democrat governor. Right. Do you really want that liberal Democratic governor making the calls on defending this right to, to life law? Because, again, their heart's not going to be in it. And so <laughs> this, I think you can see this happen quite often. And so the court here is going to give us some insight as to how – these things should progress in the future. I think the court's going to say, look, we don't like the, the politicization of the judicial process. And when these administrations change hands like this and they take one position and then they reverse it to the other position and then mm -hmm. reverse back, that's a bad thing. I think this court's going to say, nope, you came in at the end of the day, not good enough. Uh, we need to take politics out of the court, wink, wink. And so, but hey, you know what? We're going to have to wait and see how the court reacts. Oh, oh my gosh, Chris, yeah. are you ready? Are you ready for the big topic? All right, Chris, let's now talk about the NFL. And you got, there's a huge issue that dominated the news this past week, John Group. Now, I think you and I both are in agreement that there isn't much to be gained at this point in talking about right. the emails themselves. They really speak for themselves. There is a cancel culture and we're not big enough that we can survive being canceled just yet. So um, we, we, <laughs> we'll get there's there. no need to really talk about the, I do have an opinion on these emails. I think it's, I think it's the right opinion. I don't think my opinion has even been expressed out there by anyone other than Tony Dungy uh, and Mike, um, 
I forget now. Um, my who's the the uh, John Gruden's um, co-patriot at the at Monday Night Football Trico. Uh, I think those two people yeah. have actually expressed a, an opinion similar to mine. But nonetheless, I think you and I are both in agreement that the bigger story here, I won't say the bigger, a big story here is the timing of the release timing. of these emails and the fact that only these emails were released. Do you agree with that? Right. I 100% agree with that. And it's easy to look at. Let's, 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 let's look at the Raiders right now. Right, first year in Las Vegas, Las Vegas Raiders. Your Las Vegas Raiders. They're three and two. They're six hundred percent. Right. They're two and one at home. They're one and one in away. Right. They're zero for one in their division. They don't have a bad record. Right. It's four weeks in. Why are we? Why would you really like? Let's let's look at it. Urban Meyer. If you would have done that, perfect. We know you're about to get right, canned. Right. Let's let's save that trip to London. Right. But John Gruden. Like, why now out of left field? Is he getting hit on hard by the NFL? And, and go on. It's not. I, I don't know if it's cancel culture as much as it is the NFL turning on John Gruden. Well, why? Now I, I want to back up from NFL. But I want to point my focus okay. to Roger Goodell. I am not a Roger Goodell fan at all. I'm no. no fan of Tom Brady, but I definitely took Tom Brady's side during Deflate Gate because I thought he was being railroaded by Roger Goodell. Uh, and two federal judges looked at Roger Goodell's actions there in Deflate Gate and said, "Yeah, he's rogue. He's out of control. He is acting yeah, like he's his, out of out of his mind." Yes, uh, but unfortunately, in that situation, well, fortunately or unfortunately, because the players' union gave Roger Goodell that kind of power. To abuse, it wasn't really a violation of the collective bargaining agreement, so he was allowed to act out of control, like he basically was judge and jury and executioner yeah. all in one. The Spanish Inquisition. Yes, but here, what came, what I was, what I was really concerned about or fascinated about, was the timing of the release of these emails. So what happened was right. the NFL was looking through uh, six hundred fifty thousand emails, private emails that belonged to the Washington football team's organization. There was um, some review because there was a sexual harassment predominated that culture. So they're yes. reviewing all of these emails. So they have uh, yes, yes. Six, over 650,000 emails. They didn't release any of those emails. All they released <laughs> Not a were one. a handful of emails involving John Good. Now, Chris, I also want to focus on the timing of the release because the timing of the release of these emails can only be interpreted as an attack on John Gruden. Here's what I'm talking about. When the first uh, email was released, and by the way, when I say released by the NFL to the wall street journal. So this was definitely a right. planned strategic attack to take John Gruden down. All right. It was just the one email. Mm -hmm. And we all know about that one email is where he said that a, the players union rep uh, has lips, the size of a Michelin tire. All right. So that's the, and there's a lot of controversy about a lot of uproar about that. Was this a, a racist email? Was this just a very impolite email calling someone's lips to be very large, John or um, uh, Mike Trico and Tony Dungy both said this was not a racist email. But nonetheless, uh, my mother raised me better than that. I wouldn't say that about someone that they have lips the size of a Michelin tire. So I would not say that. But nonetheless, never say that. Everyone, I, I think that basically the consensus was okay. This was bad. This was wrong. But it was just one bad email. Bad day, he right. should have known better, but we all have bad days, horrible days. All right. 
Then, several days later, after the public's kind of the, the commotion gone down a little bit, they released several more emails. These also very damaging. This one coming out against um, uh, the gay, gay people, uh, also called Roger yep. Goodell, a horrible name. Starts with F, ends yep. in T. I'm not going to repeat it because I also care about the cancel culture. And I just, I've never said that word. So why start now? Even right. quoting someone else There's as no the saying the it. Word. We know what it means. Yeah, but he called Roger Goodell that. So here's my theory. Roger Goodell has really thin skin. He did not like being called that. Also, there's another word. Starts with a P, ends with a Y. I think some middle initials were S. You get the idea. Called Roger Goodell that as well. And so he's attacking Roger Goodell. And Roger Goodell does not like that. And I think the timing of these emails was intentionally designed to take John Gruden down. That's why it was done in stages. And these were all released to major media news uh, uh, entities. So any thoughts or am I way out in left field? No, it was definitely to take, it was definitely to take John down. John, the NFL wanted him out. And I think you're a hundred percent, a thousand percent, 2000% right. That Roger Goodell has thin skin. If you remember back when um, Donald Trump called for something to happen at the NFL, I want to say he wanted like everybody fired or that Roger Goodell should do his job. And that just led more fuel to the fire for the NFL to to back the the Kaepernick um, kneeling because Roger Goodell doesn't like to be told what to do or called names by anyone he thinks he's better. No, than. he doesn't. Oh, I can't stand Roger and, Goodell. And part of my problem, look, I have a lot of problems with the NFL. One, they're a nonprofit. First off and foremost, you're not a nonprofit. <laughs> that's right. But that is that's a good joke. Point. You got the line of the day. The NFL and right. the NCAA are nonprofit organizations. Is that what you're trying to non-profit. tell me? Yeah. Okay. And I and I have problems with that to begin. And that's and what I'm for also profit. gives Goodell. I, I'm 100% for profit. <laughs> but. Roger Goodell has this giant head like he's some like philanthropic mastermind bringing world peace through football right. and that somehow he should be worshipped because he has brought forth the greatest game to the greatest people at the greatest time that makes him the greatest. And in reality, man, nobody likes you. Nobody wants you to be there. You can't nobody, play football. Hey, yeah, you can't do a lot of things. All right. Well, uh, so um, the, obviously the, the the John Gruden story I find fascinating. Uh, there's going to be more to come on this story. Now, legally, John Gruden then resigned, which is very interesting. He had a $100 million right. contract. This would probably be for cause. And that he would could have been fired. So how much of that money will he get? Again, the this story is not over. Now, with John Gruden, it most likely is. We'll find out the number later on that they're going to pay him. But why the Probably NFL... Probably a third or a half. Yeah, yeah. But why the NFL only released these select emails in, during this 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 time period where they were done in in, uh, in order uh, to maximize the devastation on John Gruden, that story right. is just a starting. Chris, this all got you and me thinking about coaches now i i love coaches i am a coach myself i coach tennis probably the greatest sport out there there are no concussions in tennis (laughs) unless you're my doubles partner and i peg you in the back of the head that's a whole another story but um yeah we we, that got you and i thinking about coaches and we thought it would be fun this week since john gruden was in the news let's talk coaching now 
Chris, this was your idea. Now, I ran with it, and I have a lot of things I want to talk about when it comes to coaching, but what did you have in mind? Well, look, we, we spent the better part of the last three weeks, well, four weeks actually now, bagging on Urban Meyer right. and John Gruden, which is coaches that we don't like. But I don't think we've really hit on the fact that there's been some amazing coaching this season that maybe we wouldn't we wouldn't, we're not noticing like there are, you know, I, I like to focus on the positive. Okay. We can't always be negative in this world, but you look at like, I mean, look at Andy Reed. He's not having the best coaching season, but he's not doing an urban Meyer or a John Gruden, but then look at the, um, look at the coach for the bills. Look at Joe giant or yeah, Joe judge. Look at Joe judge for the bills. Okay. Like the bills are leading in their division. The The bills mafia is stronger than it's ever been before. They're looking pretty solid out there. They're looking like they're great contenders in the AFC East to, to, to get some things done. I mean, Bill Belichick in the AFC East isn't doing anything and his program is suffering even more under a new rookie quarterback than it was under Cam Newton. Right, right. So we should look at some of these other like captains of teams, you know, great coaching. Look at um, Cliff Kingsbury here in Arizona. Okay. Right? Arizona's undefeated right now. The guy picked up JJ Watt in the offseason. He's been moving players around. He's really utilized Larry Fitzgerald in the elder statesman position to help with Murray and everyone else that they're playing with. Like, there's some pretty solid coaching decisions being made out there that we're just not paying attention to because we're too busy chasing emails. Well, let's do that right now. Let's talk coaching now because there's a lot that I've written a lot of notes here down and I was taking some notes on what you just said. I want to talk about coaches. Let's start with the GOAT of all time. The best uh, coach of all time. That might help us because what I want to talk about first here, Chris, is how do we define a great coach. And then I want to talk about some of the coaches that we have out there right now. How are they doing? How do they measure up? And so I'm not going to ask you to give me your goat because I don't think we've done the research for that yet. And I think both you and I probably would suffer from recent bias, but we both can agree on one thing. Coaches do not throw interceptions, nor do they fumble the ball. They just coach players still play. So let me just, I'm talking 30,000 foot level here, Chris. What do mm-hmm. you think a coach should be judged by? The, the one, give me, give me one. The most important thing a coach should be judged by. Ooh, that's a solid most. In, wow. Um, man, I want to go with wins. I agree. I put oh, wins no. down. Ooh. Wins, I, it's hard because a coach should be judged on a lot of things, right? How well did they develop a player? Like, if you, like, look at, um, I mean, Bill Belichick should be judged on how well he developed the system with Tom Brady. No, 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 no. I'm going to stop Tom, you right there. I see where you're going, and I okay. like it. Coaches are not hired to develop players. Uh, maybe no, they're hired for they're hired they to hired win. Exactly. W's. You might hire a quarterback's coach to develop a player. Coaches are hired. Look, we want to win the game, not lose the game. That is your job. Give me wins. And I think it's fair to say. Now, I like what you said, Chris, when you said wins, plural. Because we're not talking about winning one game. If there is a big game and your coach lost the big game, you know what? The coach didn't throw any tough balls. I mean, he's not the one who fumbled it. He didn't miss the kick, you know, right. wide left by just a fraction of an inch. That's not on the coach, right? So, but I think over right. time, 
you can say, all right, show us where, where's the money. Do you actually have the wins to back this up? Uh, and so, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I wrote that was my number one thing. Wins are what wins. The number one thing on, on gauging a coach. But Chris, I also found that over time, there's a lot of variables that go into how great a coach is. So I'm just going to give you my my, my, the person I say is my number one coach, and I'd just be interested if you gave me your number one coach, and then we can fight each other as to who is right and who is wrong. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Oh, I'm down for this one. I got, right, you, I got this. Do you know going. who your favorite coach of all time is? I do. All right. First, let me tell you who didn't make my cut. Uh, I, I do like coaches that make it in both the college. And the NFL, so if they can show that they can win in both levels, that's something like Jimmy Johnson okay. did it. Pete Carroll did it. Uh, Nick Satan, uh, I believe he's the coach of Alabama, did not do it. He <laughs> flamed out there in Miami, quit, ran home with his tail between his legs, crying like a baby. Uh, yeah, no, Nick Saban could right. not do that. He is not my number one uh, person. Also, let me tell you, now, I'm going to offend you here. So I want to apologize, Chris. I'm going to tell you who it's not. Hurt me deep. You're going to cut me deep. Are you ready for who it's not? Who is it not? Bill Walsh. Are you still my friend? I'm just taking deep breaths. Do you right know now. why it's not Bill Walsh, legendary coach of, I believe, Stanford and also the San Francisco 49ers, architect of the West Coast offense? Do you know why it's not Bill Walsh? Why is it not Bill Walsh? So many times the coach. And the quarterback are inexplicably intertwined. And so you don't, you really don't know, should credit go to the coach or should credit go to the quarterback? We, we don't know that. And so a lot of these coaches that are on the list of both best of all times, if you look at them, they had one quarterback up throughout all of their wins. And so you can really say it was the coach or was it Joe Montana who was your your quarterback? And so that's why, even though I okay. I love Bill Walsh, but he had Joe Montana, and so I gotta discount him a little bit. My favorite quarterback or coach of all time is Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs won three Ooh. different Super Bowls, right? Three. That's a good number with three different quarterbacks. Do you know how many Super Bowls Bill Belichick won without a Thomas Brady? Zero. Zero. Zip. Nada. Nothing. Zero. So, was it Bill Belichick or was it that he had Tom Brady on his team who agreed to take less than market value for his services so that Bill Belichick can get other players around him? That's just being fortuitous. Is he really the best coach? Again, my money goes with Joe Gibbs. Won three different Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. But hold on a second. Chris, right. I got one more thing to throw by you. You okay. know why I think Joe Gibbs, Gibbs is the greatest coach of all times? Why is he the greatest coach? I'm going to give time? you this with Joe Gibbs, and I'm going to ask you to come up with any other person who fits this mold. And I'm going to give you all week to do it. And Chris, you're going to fail. All right. You're going to fail. Here's why. I Name one other coach who has who's won the big game, the big one. The, the championship that your sport is geared to win. Name me one other coach who has done it. In multiple sports. Oh no, there's nobody out there. It was, you know, it's not gonna be if you were if you yeah. won the Super Bowl and the World Series, that's quite impressive, right? You that shows you know something about coaching, you know something about motivating, right. about analysis, uh, just you know things like that. 
Joe Gibbs not only won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks, he won five, count them, five NASCAR championships. And so that is the big Super Bowl That's in NASCAR. True. He won that five That's times. True. I can't think of another coach who has gone cross sports. Now, you might be saying, Joel, really? Is NASCAR really a sport? Now when I dr- it's a reach, but... Yeah. I'll give it to you. Yeah, so when I drive on a vacation, am I also not exercising? I didn't realize that. But nonetheless, it is a sport, and he has coached five championships, and so that is my number one coach in football. And you get the bonus of the fact that he's also won five NASCAR championships. I'm going to now t- turn the mic over to All you right. and hear your thoughts. So I will say that Joe Gibbs was my number three, three okay. of all of top five of top five coaches of all times. Um, and I will say that um, the late great Bill Walsh was number two. Uh, and I did not mean to attack your I, sacred Bill Walsh. So no, no, no. And I don't feel attacked. I don't feel attacked. Of course, I'm going to go with Bill Walsh. That's when I grew up, right? I grew up in that era of Joe Montana right. and Ronnie Lott and Jerry Rice. I grew up in that time of Super Bowl championship 49ers. I grew up in all of that stuff. So, of course, I grew up as a little kid Roger thinking Craig. we you worshipped Roger Craig. Bill Walsh. Please give Roger Craig some Roger love. Craig, right? We'd have the picture of, like, Jesus and Bill Walsh and Montana. Like, they're all there on the mantle. They're all loving life, right? And I totally, totally, totally get it. But honestly, the one um, coach that has always stood out to me and I've always I, I've always admired the man because he never gave up and he stuck with an organization, his career that he could have moved to to more fertile pastures and never did. And the guy's name is Don Shula. Don Shula, a good coach. Right. I think I think Don Shula is the greatest NFL coach of all time. I mean, he. He he coached the the undefeated seventy two Dolphins. Right, the only coach to he, finish a season undefeated, right? Even though it was less games than it is now, right? Right. He has the highest winning percentage of any coach in our Super Bowl era. That's why Vince Lombardi isn't there. Okay. I'm not I'm not throwing Lombardi on the list. But I mean, he has the most wins of any NFL coach. By the way, his record: three hundred twenty eight wins, one hundred fifty six losses. Great winning percentage. Right? He has two Super Bowls, and he went to the Super Bowl four times. I'm showing six times on my stats. He went to six. Is, it, is that six Super Bowls, or is it four? We got to double-check that. Maybe he's – maybe he, wait, hold on. Maybe he's two for four in Super Bowls. Because he – That might be a better – I'm trying to think here. I know that he's won two. He's, I think he might have lost four Super Bowls, and that's my bad. I should know that better off the top of my head because he's my favorite coach of all time. But he's only won two Super Bowls. That, but that is – he's won multiple Super Bowls, been to many Super Bowls, multiple quarterbacks, right. and apparently he knows how to grill a steak. He does. And, and, he, and he died last year, so rest in peace to Don Shula and the Shula family for their loss. He, and he was an overall – he developed the, the team. He developed the franchise. And that's not something you're seeing in modern-day football as much anymore. I don't think a Kyle Shanahan or, or – um, I just said his name a second ago. Um, Cliff from – Sean McVay? Yeah, no, no, no. Kingsbury from the Cardinals oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. or or McVay or the guy for the Rams, all of them, I don't think they're going to they, – they'll jump to another franchise. Right. I, and, and I think that's part of the market too, right? We don't stay in the same place anymore. We don't have pensions. We don't have any of that stuff. But I look at Don Shula, 33 seasons as head coach of the Dolphins. 33. 
And where was he the coach right before the Dolphins? Let me look it up right now. I'm guessing the, I want to say the Jets. Might have been the Giants. Let me look it up here real quick here. We got Don Shula. Um, um, let me pause it here while we actually go up. Look at Don. No, he he was the Colts. The Baltimore Colts, Colts yes, from 63 Colts. to 69. That's right. He made it to the Super Bowl with the Colts, another franchise, obviously right. another quarterback, made it to the Super Bowl with them. And so that is a, um, obviously, uh, he's one of the greatest of all times. Right. And he's my pick. And I think it's a non controversial pick. Everybody can get behind Don Shula. He's going to be in most people's top three or top five. Because he didn't cheat. He just cheat. happens to be number one in my heart. He didn't cheat like Bill, Bill no. cheat, uh, whatever you want to say Put his in the last work. name is. Yeah. No. Yep. I'm a big fan. I like Don Sheila. Don Sheila definitely knows how to coach. Um, uh, he knew how to coach. He had a ton of wins, a lot of Super Bowls. He did not get there with Dan Marino. Maybe, I don't know. Which is sad. It is. I, I thought that was a great combination. I, I don't know. Any thoughts as to why he couldn't do it with Dan Marino? Because Dan Marino came in an age where you needed more than just Dan Marino, right? He, you, I love Dan Marino. I thought he was one of the greatest quarterbacks who never got a ring in history, right. which could be another podcast of, of greats that never got a ring. Yes. Um, but you got to have more than just a quarterback. You got to have people who can run the ball. You got to have people who could pass it. You got to have at least a defense or a offense. Miami through all those years just had Dan Marino. Right. That I, I like Don Shula. I agree with you on that pick. As far I'm not number one, but he definitely is right. worthy. Uh, I I definitely would have him above a Belichick. I did some searches this week on best coaches of all time, and almost all of them had a Belichick number one. I'm going really Belichick. Why do you think Belichick is the greatest coach ever? He couldn't do it with the Cleveland Browns before he went to no. uh, New England. He wasn't even that good at New England until Brady came along and he hasn't been that right. good since Brady left. I'm kind of thinking he wrote, right. wrote on Brady co Brady's coattails. I definitely would not put him number one. And we haven't also even right. gotten to the cheating, not allegations, the cheating convictions no, that cheating. he actually was convicted of um, uh, of uh, cheating when he was videotaping the uh, proceedings there before the Super Bowl with the um, uh, right. Arizona Cardinals. All that right. had to hit the, home for you. The only reason why Belichick, Belichick, Billy Boy, William, whatever you want to call him, the only reason he's in the number one spot is because, look, he's 20 seasons, 21, 20 seasons with the Patriots. Right. 17 division titles. Um... A ton of Super Bowls. Um, his win percentage is just below Don Shula. Okay. And he's just below Shula on all-time wins record. It, it worked. The reason they put him at number one is because of the fact that Tom Brady carried his old ass all the way through the Super Bowls. Yes, there's no doubt that combination of Tom Brady and Belichick worked to produce Super Bowls. Now, right. you and I though, will both say this because we've talked about this off of the, off the record that they also were the benefit of a lot of horrendous coaching decisions and blunders from the other side. In fact, I can't think of probably two worse Super Bowl decisions than the ones made by the Atlanta Falcons. And then also the, probably the biggest one by Pete Carroll, one of the greatest the Seahawks. Yeah, one of the greatest coaches of all time. His decision to not run um the, the Marshawn Lynch. How do you Lynch. not run? You have Marshawn Lynch right there, yeah. ready to plow. You're like a freaking three inches off the goal line. No, I'll pass. I'm good. No, I gotta pass on this one. We're gonna fake him out with a pass. Fart? I don't know. 
Like, I get the thinking outside the box and let's go ahead and throw a pass because they're going to expect Marshawn Lynch to run it. But the reason they're expecting Marshawn Lynch to run it is because he delivers. Yes, there is no way you're losing by running Marshawn Lynch. I mean, come on. And uh, right. you're not, he's not going to fumble. He did not fumble the ball. The clock, the not ball's fumbling. not going to fall incomplete. There was almost nope. no risk, 100%, 99% reward there. That's a coaching decision to make. But he wanted to prove Every how smart time. he was. And sometimes pride goeth before a fall, and that might be a great exhibit for that uh, proverb of pride to goeth before a fall. All right. Now, there are some honorable mentions I want to just throw by you before we get into who do you think has done a really good job this year. I'm going to throw some other coaches by you that I just want to give some love to. All right. Uh, and you can throw some your way as well. Mike Tomlin. Right, hit me. What do you think of Mike Tomlin, the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers? For a long time. I mean, he was, I mean, I, I love Mike Tomlin. I liked Bill Cowher more, but I like Mike Tomlin. I think he's, I think he's in the modern NFL era. I think he's been able to develop some players really well. Um, when did he, he took over 2008, 2009, seven, eight, nine, somewhere in that range, somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, right. He was, he, and he was pretty young, right? He was like in his early th- or mid thirties. Very young. So I think he's de- I think he developed the Steelers really, really, really well. And he, he came from um, Vikings. He came from the Vikings to come in. Sorry, I, I have a brain fart because you gave me Mike Tomlin. But I, I I really, I feel like he had a lot to work with with Big Ben. He did a lot of things that normally you wouldn't think a young coach being able to come in to do, even inheriting a great program like the Steelers. And on a sidebar, the Steelers have one of the greatest fan bases of all time. Right, right, they do. And but I think, you know, he was defensive coordinator for the, the Vikings for a hot minute. And then he was thrown into the, the, uh, the head coaching seat in Steel City and killed it. Nope. You know, he, he just did a great, I think he did a great job early on. I think he's struggling a little bit later in his career. I think. Um, Let me throw a couple ideas by you. I, I think Mike Tomlin should probably be put into the Hall of Fame Right this very instant, because in retrospect, who are two of the probably the biggest hotheads in in professional football right now? A lot of people would probably say Le'Veon Bell and Antonio oh, Brown. Sure, These are two guys who are oh, yeah. lost their rockers, are crazy, and no idea what they're doing, uh, almost unmanageable. They both were played, you know, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Mike Tomlin kept both of them right. uh, focused, going down the marching to, to the same orders. And they were a very great team during that time period. The fact that Mike Tomlin did such a great job with those two, and now they are they're off the rockers, I think you should give Mike Tomlin extra amount of love for that great, incredible coaching job. Right. Uh, well, and he's never he's never had a losing season. He's only had I want to say um, a few seasons where he's finished like eight and eight. He's only, I mean, he won a Super Bowl his second year. Right. So I I think I I would guarantee throwing Mike Tomlin in there. I mean, he's got to have patience of you know almost Christ like patience to be dealing with Antonio Brown alone. Exactly. And and the fact that he did it at the highest level and won with that right. the, the, that crew, I think is an incredible coaching job. All right, one more, and I'm gonna give you the floor to tell me your incredible coaching jobs from this year. But 
I'm from Kansas City. I've got to give some love to Andy Reid. Andy Reid has mustache. done it over the many years. He He's a genius when it comes to offense. Uh, he keeps turning over offensive coordinators. Uh, he has this routine where he will call the plays year one, and then in year two, he will hand over the play calling to the new offensive coordinator. So he's a great coach as far as coaching other coaches on how to call the plays. He is continually reinvent and reinventing the offensive plays. Uh, people look to him as the offensive guru and genius. And here's the deal. He just keeps winning year after year right. after year. year. Donovan McNabb for the, for the Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles to right now, obviously with um, Patrick Mahomes in Kansas city, he will. Con- right. So as worried as people are with Kansas city right now, I just got to say, you know what? Andy Reid is in charge. We're going to be just fine. Yes, the Kansas City Chiefs are a mess right now. They will get things figured out. Andy Reid will do it. Uh, And so, obviously, I I think very highly of him. All right. Who do you think is doing a really good job this year? I mean, I love Andy Reid. I need to just put that out there. I love Andy Reid. When I shave off my goatee, I look like Andy Reid. I might go as Andy (laughs) Reid for Halloween this year. Okay? I love me some Andy Reid. Don't get me wrong there. Great guy. Um, Actually, my... My coaches that I'm really digging this year, and look, I know, I know I've been loving on the Rams a lot. I just, I got the feeling that the Rams are going to do great things. And I think Sean McVay is an amazing coach. Yes. I think, I mean, he came in like rookie season as head coach, right? Right. He came in and, and took the Rams almost, if I remember, either almost to the Super Bowl or to the Super Bowl. I want to say it was. He took him to the Super Bowl. I believe so. A couple of years ago, it was the wasn't it the Rams? Um, uh, we got well to look that up here while we are talking. Uh, yeah, they they lost to the Patriots. Yeah. Super Bowl fifty three. They lost to the Patriots. That's exactly what they did. My bad. I I don't know why I couldn't think of that right now. But it it it's amazing what Sean McVay has done. Has come in and he's revolutionized the Rams' entire clubhouse. To where now they're a more cohesive unit. And look, I know the Rams moved St. Louis back to L.A. And and this idea of moving teams really shakes up uh, organization and allows for fresh blood to come in and make changes and build up the program. But Sean McVay has just got a vi- And the guy's young, right? He's not, he is. He's not hanging out. And so he's got a long, long, long career ahead of him. And it looks and like... And I think he's doing... He's 35 years old, man. Wow. 30... Five years old. He's 35. And he's been right the head now. coach of the Rams right now. He was born in 1986, January 24th, 1986. He took over as head coach of the Rams in 2017 at 31 years old. He took them to a Super Bowl. Wow. That is amazing. That is a young, right? it, young coach and just getting started. Right. And as you pointed out, they look really good on offense and defense. He is now on his second right. quarterback uh, uh, minimum. Uh, and so he's doing well again yeah, this year. Great job. Cliff Kingberry also there locally for you. Yes. I got a bit, My man. I didn't think he was going to do it. I, I was a big fan of his uh, at Texas Tech. I loved watching him because he right. had some say. He coached Mahomes. He coached Mahomes. He also coached probably Mayfield. Mayfield also was at Texas Tech and yep. then went over to Oklahoma. Uh, and so that's, you know what, um, he obviously knows how to coach coaches. Well, well, what he has been able to do in the collegiate level with high-scoring offenses, will that really translate to the NFL? Well, it's year three of this experiment. 
Is it, a year, is it year two or year three? But it is working. They are doing great there in, yeah, year two. Uh, in Phoenix. This is year two for Kingsbury? Kingsbury? Uh, well, no, he took over the 2019 season. So this is his third season. Yeah. Okay. Fascinating. Yeah, so this is third season. He is He's doing great there. I assume you guys are all in love with him in, in the Phoenix area? Oh, yeah. Oh, of course we are. I mean, he's he he's his name is respects put on it. It's almost said with a whisper when we're talking about him, so we don't jinx any sort of future winnings right. or any games like that. All right. Well, we could talk coaching right. forever. There's a lot of other great coaches oh out there. Some the, one of the problems is these young coaches will be a flash in the pan. It's really easy to be successful for a couple of years, and then people figure right. you out. And can you adjust? Sean McVay has now been successful for many years. He's already had the whole adjustment phase, uh, and so one of these days we're going to do this goat. We are going to decide who is the greatest of all time, and we will come back right. to this topic. But now, Chris, is a time for us to give our weekly warning to all those young kids, do not gamble. Gambling is going to waste your money. It's just taking your dollar bills and lighting them on fire. And so we started with $500 each, and we have uh, made picks every single week. Uh, so far, if you were to look at the picks, I'm just going to give you an update on our, our, our total winnings so far. Uh, I am 16 wins, nine losses, one tie. So I am a plus seven. So I'm at $570. You Ooh. are 17 and 13 plus four. You're $540. I'm now caught up with you after your five and oh start. And so just throw a little shade in your way. Gosh. So, this next week, uh, I don't have a good pick. So, I'm going to first hear from you. What are your picks <laughs> for this upcoming week? Last week, you finished two and three. Uh, didn't do too bad. Did. What are your picks this week? It was hard. So, we're going to start with the recently uncoached Las Vegas Raiders yeah. are taking on the Denver Broncos in the Mile High City. I'm fascinated Denver by this is game. favored at 3.5, and the over-under is 44.5. It's definitely going to be the under. Okay. That's 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 for sure happening. Um I'm actually thinking that um Vegas is going to shine now that Gruden is gone. Interesting. So I think I think the Raiders are going to beat the Broncos at home and I think that they're going to do the under though. Okay, so you're taking the under and you're taking Vegas to win that game. Uh, that is going to be a fascinating game. I always am fascinated it's to see how professional fun. teams respond to adversity. Will it bring them together or are they now a fractured group with no head? And so we'll, we'll right. find out. I do think they probably liked Gruden as their coach. Uh, maybe some of them were turned off by the emails. And so, but they might say they, they, they mischaracterized him. He's not that way. We're going to find a lot about what they think about Gruden this week. Uh, and so that is a very fascinating game to watch. All right. What are the other picks? All right. I'm going to take the easy pick. Los Angeles Rams at New York Giants. Oh, my goodness. The over under is 47.5. And the Rams are favored to win by 10.5. They're going to do the over, and the Rams are going to cover the spread. So they're going to win by more than 10. Wow. That is one gutsy pick. I always stay away from those when it's that high, but you are going to take the – they're going to cover the – you said 10.5-point spread? Yeah, 10.5-point right. spread. And, and the, the Giants are 1-4. in four. They're just not putting anything together. They're not even – The problem I mean, is when teams are that bad and the Rams are that good – they do tend to overlook, but we'll see how they play this week. All right, right. one more pick. And lastly, Arizona Cardinals at Cleveland Browns. 
This is a tough one. This is super it's be tough. One of the, best the Browns games of the are week. insane. Right. This is going to be the game of the week. Browns are favored by three points. It's a 49.5 over under. That's a ridiculous number. So I'm going to pick the under okay. on the the Cardinals at the Browns. You're taking the under. But it's going to be a low-scoring affair. The, the Arizona has been low-scoring of late, which is fascinating to me because mm-hmm. Kingsbury was known to be as high-scoring offenses there at Texas Tech. Yeah. But they have Indeed. not scored a lot as of late. So you're taking the under. Probably a really good – actually, I like that under pick there on the Arizona uh, and Cleveland. Right. And so we'll have to see how that plays out. All right, my picks Indeed. this week. Uh, I am Hit fascinated em. by several of the games that I wrote down and took notes. Uh, the first – um. Oh, picks that I have here is going to be Miami and Jacksonville. Who even cares oh. about this game? Right? You have two losing pro- Urban Meyer cares because if he loses in London, he may not come home. Wow. So Miami is the three point favorite uh, over. Over Jacksonville, will will Urban Meyer finally get his first win? I am going to say no. I am picking Miami to cover the three-point spread. All right. The second big game here that I just drew my attention uh, was the um, uh, Ohio or Oklahoma State versus Texas. Now, Oklahoma State is undefeated, ranked like 12th. Texas mm-hmm. is ranked, I believe, 20th, but they are the five-point favorite. I am taking uh, on this game uh, Oklahoma State to um, to win and definitely to cover the five-point spread. All right, next one, which I'm very curious about, is going to be the Chargers and Ravens. I think this is going to be the game oh, yeah. of the week. Chargers and Ravens. Chargers are up and coming. They look like the real deal. Rookie coach going up against uh, the Baltimore I'm going to take Baltimore in this one. I think that they are they are Ooh. better coach, the more experienced coach, the more dependable quarterback. I think the Ravens uh, will cover the two and a half points. All right. Lastly, here we have Cowboys and Patriots. The Cowboys are three and a half point favorites. <laughs> the Cowboys have been on fire, and the fact that they're only three and a half points favorite over the Patriots, I have to like them in that one. All right, that's actually four. Got it. Let me give you one more that I am going to pick, and I don't want to pick this. I'm just going to do it because. It just has my attention. Ole Miss versus Tennessee. Now, Ooh. do you know what the over-under line is on this one? 82 no, but I'm loving to hear this. and a half. I'm sorry, 82 and a half? 82 and a half points is the, the over-under line. for. And I know these are two high-scoring games. I checked out both of their offenses and how much they have scored in recent games. And they are high-scoring teams, but still, two right. and a half. Both teams have to be on fire. Eighty-two and a half is ridiculous. Yeah. So I'm gonna take absolutely the, stupid. I'm gonna take the under on that one, but you know it's gonna be a fifty-two fifty-one game, and uh, and so I'm gonna <laughs> end up losing that one. I just cannot resist that one when I saw the eighty-two and a half a point spread. Right, you can't you can't put that down. All right, Chris, it's been a great week talking football with you again, and I appreciate the thoughts on coaches. And uh, one of the things we're going to have to pick our top, our GOAT coaches of all time and re- review this podcast so we can kind of see what we said uh, and see who we actually land on. Uh, but, hey, great having you, Chris. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week. All right, thanks, Joel. I'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, 
please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support. Music.